Welcome to episode 37 of the Cake Watch podcast, a podcast which is mostly about Brexit. I'm Chris Kendall, I am an EU official, but uh, that's not important because I'm here in a strictly personal capacity and with me is my guest. Guest host, I'd like to think. Oh, you want to be a host now? No, guest host. <laughs> I used to work for CNBC and we used to have guest hosts on regularly. And they'd come in for a couple of hours and sort of help the presenter out when they were getting a bit boring. Just saying. My name's Laura Shields. And I am the friend of Chris and Steve. Mm. And also from British and Europe. Yeah. And I do other things as well. Well, Laura, we, we all know you because you've been on lots of podcasts here before. Um, excuse me, I'm just eating vegan cookie dough. Which is, I'd just like to say, it's chocolate and nuts and maple syrup. I mean, you don't have to be vegan to think that's a good thing. No, just delicious. Mm. Um, so Steve's not with us and we're going to talk a little bit about why I'm back in Laura's kitchen Laura only records in her kitchen um, we've been feasting on vegan delights again uh, I'm doing veganuary I thought it was veganuary so I, I, was, I was like yeah I'm going to go to, I'm going to do veganuary because it's V-E-G and January so I thought veganuary brilliant I'll be I'll be a vegetarian because I'm not normally a vegetarian you think that's what people are saying right. and then everybody January. was like oh that's brave of you oh you're going to be a vegan for my oh I'm like well hang on, hang on I didn't sign up to be a vegan I signed up to be a vegetarian who mm-hmm. eats fish a pescatarian yeah yeah well a vegetarian who eats fish yeah but no I am I am nearly being a vegetarian uh, a vegan and I am being a vegetarian well a pescatarian <laughs> it's a start so firstly happy new year everyone um, we've had a lovely break. Um, I've had a lovely break. Um, but we're back. It's January, the, the worst month, officially. And we're going to talk a little bit tonight, not so much about Brexit as such, as how it's affecting us all, how we feel about it. So um, we should kick off by saying, look. Uh, you know that Steve's been a bit on and off with the podcast, um, and um, I had a chat with him, and uh, he wanted me to uh, talk a little bit about why, and it chimes in with the theme of the evening, which is mental health and how Brexit is affecting it for all of us. So Steve um, is uh, someone who has um, suffered from depression. Um which is a sickness that many of us have experienced. Um, And um, he is um, depressed. Um, And Brexit certainly has a lot to do with it. Um, And um, we thought that it would be um, a good idea if we had a chat about this. We we thought that um, we're we're, we're all feeling it. Happy New Year. Um, I'm, I'm... I'm feeling it. Um, you're feeling it. So we've got quite a lot to talk about, um, and we wanted to talk about how how all of this is making us feel. This has been a relentless um, 
This has been a relentless a couple of years and it's not going anywhere right now. No, I mean, I think also it's about broadening it out a bit, isn't it? Because in the last week, I've been in touch with three people, Steve included, Brits in Europe, but I know that this isn't exclusive to them at all, but just three Brits who live on the continent who are all having some kind of mental health-induced episode because of Brexit, to the point where it's actually paralysing their ability to live their lives, you know, to even go through the motions of living their lives. So people who are under such extreme stress that it's actually holding up their ability to do the language test for the nationality exams that they need to take in the country that they're living in, or in Steve's case, that he's had to take a step back from doing the thing that he's the most passionate about, but that's also tearing him up. Mm. And other people who I'm not going to name names from. And I put a tweet out about this yesterday just because I was so fed up with it all. And I was so fed up with just being angry. And I'll come on to my own personal story in a moment. But I was quite surprised by the response that I got on my, on my feed with various people coming forward, sharing their stories. And there was a lot of British people living in Europe, people also DMing me privately. Europeans living in the UK, but of course also British people living in the UK. And, you know, it is a cause of huge concern for people existentially and personally. But I think also the hardest thing is the division and the polarisation that goes with it, which is that a lot of the time people feel that when they talk to people who happen to view this situation differently from them, that they get told that they don't feel the way that they do or that they don't have any right to feel the way that they do or that they're just wimps. And that I can see as being very challenging um, and upsetting for people and my heart really goes out to them and part of the reason my heart really goes out to them is because I'm permanently medicated myself. I mean, I've had several episodes of mental health related issues. I had a big episode of depression when I first got to Brussels. I had postnatal depression and I had full-on anxiety in the run-up to the referendum in 2016 and have had to be medicated ever since that and I you know part of the reason I mean you know I'm smiling now because it feels ridiculous talking about it but my husband came home from midnight the night that Boris Johnson announced that he was backing Brexit and found me crying in the dark in the kitchen and he said do you think maybe it's time to go back to the doctor and yeah I did so I really get this and I really feel that people are you know, my heart goes out to them because I know that also people feel that they're not two years on. Why do we still feel like this? Why aren't we allowed to feel like this? But I think it's okay. And I think people do need to talk about it. And in a moment, we're going to talk about some, I'd like to give some advice and that's the wrong word because I don't want to talk about advice, but I'd like to share some of the things that have helped me get through this. Um, think, and, yeah. but, and again, this is all completely personal. And I would also <clears throat> like to say that in my own case, the things that help me are based on 10 years of having to manage myself, not you know two years but not that that's trying to undermine anybody else's experience but I guess what I'm trying to say is it's a long process so this is a uniquely stressful period um, and I think it's affecting all of us really um, I, I suspect that a great number of people listen, who do listen to this podcast on a regular basis will be feeling very similar um, so um, I mean, my, my experience is that um, when, when the referendum took place, I, I also was <laughs> medicated um, for a variety of reasons. But, you know, existential fear is one of them. Um, you know, we're, we're people who 
we, we, we know the world, we, we, we read the papers, we follow the news, we, we think. Sensitive. We, we, we are lovely sensitive people. Um, there are all sorts of reasons to be worried about the direction that the world is heading in. But, you know, um, Brexit kind of brings it all a bit um, close to home. And, and there are legitimate reasons to be extremely uh, apprehensive about this year about where things are heading for, for us and our loved ones. Um, there, are the, there are those of us who um, live uh, outside the UK but have UK nationality whose rights are being stripped and who, are, who are, have very serious and meaningful concerns. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say at this point here, though, I think one of the things that was one of the things that we were discussing actually before we were recording is that you've got German nationality. You're, you're dual, and I'm actually a dual, no. or a triple. <laughs> I'm a, car, I'm a Carmelite triple because I've got US as well. But both you and I have will be retaining EU citizenship regardless of what happens. And I feel that certainly in my case, you know, and I did think quite long and hard about this because I've been very active in citizens' rights. But I'm very, you know, I, I'm so lucky that I've been able to get Belgian nationality because it's put a floor under my day-to-day -day life, as in I don't have to worry about my own practical arrangements. But I do worry hugely about other people who are in situations well, where they don't have that. For me, it's a far more existential, and I'm concerned about the future of Europe and the UK and my son's future. But I can't imagine what it's like when you're, you don't even have the day-to-day -day security exactly, that, that so many people have. And, you know, what everyone talk, in psychology, one of the things that we talk about, one of the major causes of mental health, anxiety or instability is when you feel that all the things that are secure in your life are being removed. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's not that weird. In fact, my friend Joanna, when I was having a meltdown in the run up to the referendum, I phoned her and said, I think I'm going crazy. And she said, actually, I think your response is completely sensible. I said, I think I'm going, I've got major anxiety, I've got insomnia, I have to go on to medication. Well, the, the people who are crazy are the ones who aren't worried. And yeah, well, no, she said, I think you're actually having a completely normal response. Mm. So I think in terms of every, anybody who's feeling this way, you're not alone. And this is actually a completely yeah. normal exactly. response to an incredibly psychologically, philosophically, socially, personally stressful situation, which has also been ramped up in the run-up to the referendum by that incredibly violent campaign on both sides actually in terms of linguistics so economic armageddon and meltdown but also hostage the eu hostage taking well, on one side it was well look, look. it was much worse on so, one side so, but look, it didn't help when you had also cameron talking about financial meltdown no but um i thought the sky was going to fall in well, the sky is going to fall in. Yes, but it hasn't yet. But the point is that it's not weird. If you think that that's what... If you get told that the whole time, no, it's not weird. It's not weird that you, 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 no. you feel upset and That's worried. what I'm trying to say. Um, what's the Toll storyline? Um, every happy family is, is happy. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own unique way or something. Okay, um, so you're allowed to quote Tolstoy. Yeah. Um, yeah, badly and wrongly. Um, I haven't got the exact quote, but it's something along those lines. And um, so the, the thing is, we've all got our own reasons for being concerned and worried. But um, what can we do? They are, you know, a. I think the the, the 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 key point that I think we need to get across, we want to get across, is that if you're feeling that way, you are most definitely not alone. I think a lot of us are feeling that way, and that's one of the things. I think 
Twitter and social media and the way in which we can all connect with each other is um, a very mixed blessing. It, it on the one hand, it, it relieves us it relieves us of that feeling of isolation. We don't feel I for many years. See, I'm I'm somebody who's been an, a passionate pro-European for my entire adult life and um, a massive Brexit silver lining for me has been that all of a sudden I'm not the only one because for the longest time I felt like the only one or at least in, in a tiny tiny minority of people um, on the other hand um, it can become addictive and relentless and you're constantly looking at Twitter and you know you're in your echo chamber but all of us in that echo chamber are sharing this awful experience of looking of feeling powerless watching what's happening and thinking why the hell did they not get it why the hell aren't they stopping this what well it's also it's not just that I mean I read a book over the summer by um, an Israeli neuroscientist called Tali Sharo for anyone who's listened to John Harris's well you're um, allowed to quote Tali Sharo yeah but, okay but anyone who's listened to John Harris on the Radio 4's um the tyranny of story may recognize the name but she's a neuroscientist in london and she wrote a book called the influential mind and there's a section where she talks about twitter and what and the, its impact on the brain and unsurprisingly twitter is not good for the brain you know if you want to spend your day in a heightened state of emotion and stress then fine <laughs> go on twitter but the point is that as brain organisms we can't really take it now, this, of course, becomes very difficult to manage because all of, a lot of people who are campaigning need to be on Twitter. It's how we get networked. I mean, we, we met Remaina. We met on Twitter. Yeah, we did meet on we Twitter. We did meet right. there, despite the fact that you used to play in my house before I lived there, which is, sounds really stalky, doesn't it? Um, but yeah, you and I met on Twitter. We met Remaina Andy on Twitter. Remaina now on Twitter. I met Nikki on Twitter. No, but, the you know... But I'm, no, I'm, just, I'm laughing because you left that little, you dropped that little bomb in the conversation. What, you, that, I'm either going to have to edit it out, or what, people are going to be like, oh, "What are you playing in my house?" Yeah. Well, we'll explain that in a minute. But the oh, point, we, but the point not. is that this stuff doesn't really help. But I think everybody who's listening to this, who's feeling these things, will know that. But I think one of the things that's hardest, and this is particularly true for Brits living on the continent because we're so spread out in a lot of cases, is try to find your real life support networks because this stuff mm. really, really helps. And the Twitter's good for making those connections, but you have to have yeah, the human dimension. Yeah. Is this where I'm allowed to quote Peeps? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. So, who's Peeps? who's Peeps? Samuel Peeps, I thank you. Um, so, Peeps, obviously, the famous diarist who was writing in the 17th century and whose diary was diaries um, documenting London life. I always preferred John Evelyn. Against the backdrop of the bubonic plague and then the great fire later on, but sort of late, I guess, child restoration England, in fact. And there is a diary entry, which I find incredibly heartwarming, where even against this backdrop in, in, in London, where the plague was, is not explicitly referenced here, but if you chronologically, it would have been happening there. And he just talks about going to a gathering where his wife's portrait was being painting. And it says... Here we had ale and cakes and mighty Mary and sung my song, which she, my wife, now sings bravely and makes me proud of myself. And I think that this one, something is incredibly important to hold close to you because these basic things like being together, sharing food, getting drunk, frankly, even if it's one glass of wine. I'm not talking about going on a major bender. It doesn't take much for most people these days. 
but actually just have, keeping that human contact and finding ways to have joy even when it doesn't feel that it's hugely helpful isn't it Chris as he wipes kebabs of grease <laughs> off his front <laughs> well thanks I thought that was profound and you're just wiping kebab grease but anyway alright yeah I know that I was what's um, your profound tip my profound tip <laughs> is find an Aramaic vegan kebab eat cake well actually I have to say so I did dry January for the first time in 2016 uh, which probably is why I ended up having a sort of meltdown in the the referendum and I got very skinny and miserable that year (laughs) and was depressed and anxious and then ended up buying a load of clothes because I lost a load of weight and of course now I can't fit into any of those clothes again but I'm a lot happier but I tried to do uh, dry January again in 2017 when and I had to give up because it was when Tr- Trump got inaugurated yeah, and can't, yeah can't stay well no and I remember having this moment where I was in the cellar and I was practically lining it with tin foil because I was so convinced the Russian tanks were about to roll into Brussels that <laughs> um, I basically decided I can't do this I can't do Brexit and Trump without alcohol and cake and you know what I'm an awful lot happier for having both <laughs> in my life and you know well, you can find what works. Find what, find find what, what works. works. In a, in a, in a, in so friends, way. cake and ale. Yeah, for me what it's... Um, well, for me it's knitting. Yeah. Fucking knitting. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Brilliant. So my mother-in-law uh, bought me um, a book on knitting and mindfulness. Or mindfulness and knitting for Christmas. I was like, oh, that's, that's really wanky. And I, I've been reading it. It is really wanky. But... It's also like, yeah, well, all of this is obvious. Yeah, yeah, I could have written this. <laughs> well, okay, you, yeah, you could have written it, but that's what everybody well, says. No, you, but no, you no, didn't. but the point is, you read it with a, with a like, yeah, yeah, a nod of recognition, and you think, mm. ah. So I, I mean, I have it, as somebody who's had a track record of mental health problems, I mean, I find things like meditation, mindfulness have been hugely helpful for me, but I think that the, ma- the main challenge for people who are feeling this way is that you need to put the spade work in when you're feeling okay. Because actually trying to med- learn how to meditate when you think you've got voices in your head can probably go the other way. So it's this is not my recommendation, but I have found that a lot of that stuff to be incredibly helpful. <clears throat> no, you have to find what works. You have to find and, what and, works, and... but also you have to not take risks with your own mental health. Exactly. You know, exercise, again, a cliche, hugely helped mm. for me. I never really liked running. I only I only started running initially because my sister-in-law started running before her wedding and lost loads of weight and I was vain and I wanted to do it too but I never liked it I started liking after I had postnatal depression and I was running for my life and actually in the run-up to the referendum in 2016 I ran the fastest 10k of my life because I had so much anxiety in me that it was like real flight or flight and it was great afterwards because you run it out of you I mean you make you feel incredibly alive so yeah no no you don't like that no running is awful sports is horrible. it's not when you're running of running out your primal no I recommend fears. I recommend eating and knitting okay that's what works for me okay <laughs> <laughs> though I am doing veganuary for January. For January. <laughs> it's just, yeah. It sounds a bit rude, isn't it? Well, it does. I was, I wanted to interrupt at the beginning, but since you told me not to interrupt, I didn't. But you, know, you said, yeah, when I said I was doing for January, people thought I was doing vegan January. I was like, no, that's not what they thought you were doing, Chris. <laughs> yeah, anyway. no, I, I, um, yeah. Um, the other thing I was just going to say, and I am no mental health practitioner here, but if you are somebody who's really experiencing debilitating symptoms, go and see a GP. Oh, Absolutely. Don't, think not... about medication think about therapy don't you don't have to do this on your own there are no prizes for 
suffering silently. And actually the most helpful thing that my psychologist said to me when I first went to see her 10 years ago is that as organisms, suffering without some kind of intervention is really bad for us. Absolutely. I mean, people who have depression die younger. It's and a I don't, Yeah, it is. It's, it's an but illness. the impact that this well, has on you... It's an illness, and it's an illness that um, becomes worse if it's not acknowledged, yeah. and you need to be open about it. And that's one of the reasons, for example, why uh, I'm talking... Uh, in Steve's absence, I'm talking about it. Um, and, and Steve said to me, he said, look, talk about it, because getting it out there talking about it hmm. is helpful it helps to make it real and make it something then that can be addressed and tackled and i would also say actually turning it around if you're somebody who knows people who are yeah. having problems yeah. just check in with them you don't have they they may not want to talk yeah. i found that when i and i get the sense that that's the case with steve is that it's you're exhausted when you yeah. have anxiety you don't really want to talk yeah. And you think that's not people being being rude and it's being, not rude they don't have they, they can't they actually it. can't deal with it they're exhausted they don't have anything to say but a lot of the time they do appreciate company yeah. as in just somebody who comes around makes a cup of tea and is there so, so don't a, be don't please if you've got somebody who is being unresponsive but is a friend of yours do check in on them and yeah. just find out they need anything even little things a lot of the time depressed people don't actually need a lot from you yeah. they just need to know you're there so I have a theory, which is that um, on Twitter, people are generally introverts, whereas on Facebook, they're bloody extroverts. Yeah, I don't know. People. But so a lot of us, I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert in, in, in the sense that um, my energy comes from time spent alone or, or just, you know, with my very closest people. Oh, yeah, you're like me. And um, that's, you don't thrive off the group is what no, you mean. No, no, no. Which is why I tried to say no, we're that. Both, we're both super gobby, but that doesn't make us extroverts. We're, we're, I mean, I'm uh, an introvert. We could sure. talk about Quiet by Susan Cain. Uh, yeah, no, I've read that. It's good, isn't it? But, yeah, people keep buying it for me. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Basically, like, enough, I'm going home now. Yeah, exactly. It's owning it. It's owning the introversion. It's, it's oh, such know, a well, fantastic... My mum said that, so just as an anecdote, when we first moved into the house that you used to play in before I lived there... <laughs> Chris is from my town, by the way, and knows the people no, who no, live no. next door to us. I'm from Chris's town. First. But Chris used to play in my house before I lived there because he knew my neighbours, who was actually who were actually my babysitter. But we moved in there when I was two. And apparently on the first evening that we were there, we had some friends round and we had a sort of get together. And halfway through dinner I disappeared at the age of two. And my mum came to find me later and I just decided I'd had enough. And yeah. I went to sleep on my bed with no mattress and no duvet yeah. and no pillows because it hadn't been made yet, but that was it. I was done. Yeah. Well, so um, the thing about um, thing is, a lot of us are introverts, and so a lot of us are um, reluctant to intrude upon other people's solitude or privacy, um, and other people will feel the same way about us because they'll know that we're introverts, and therefore they might also feel um, mm. reluctant to intrude. On our, and rightly so, because normally I, I, you know, I don't want people to talk to me or phone me or email me. I, I want you all to go away so I can knit. That's what I want. But interestingly, when um, when I had my experience of depression, which I think is was for me was was thankfully so far in my life a, a one off and was quickly dealt with. You know, I, I, I saw what was happening. I, I I I understood what I was going through. I could see see it for what it was, and I dealt with it quickly I, 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 I googled mm -hmm. uh, to find out the th sort of things that I ought to be able to do I went to my doctor um, I talked to people about it and I was surrounded by 
amazing people who've been through very similar experiences. Some of some of them will certainly be listening to this. I think who really rescued me, really helped me out. So what I'm saying is, although I am somebody who generally rather pushes people away, because that's 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 the kind of person I am. At that time in my life, I'm really glad that people um, kind of imposed themselves mm. on me. Not in a not in a, a needy way. It's the opposite. It was the opposite. It was a giving way. It was people people just checked in with me. People, I, uh, yeah. And I, you know, and now now I'm I'm good. I mean, I'm very. We'll talk about other emotions in a second. I'm I'm super angry, but I'm not depressed. I'm not ill with it. So I'm back to normal. So I'm I'm back to my normal. Don't talk to me. I'm an introvert. I'm I'm on my own. And and, and and a lot of those people that were so fantastic to me when I was ill, when I needed it. That you're ungrateful to <laughs> Probably. Because I don't talk to them very much. But I love them and they're amazing people. So that, if, you, if you think that somebody in your life might be um, going through this, um, don't be scared that you're going to be intruding yeah. or imposing upon them. Just check in with them. I would also say that another thing that you can do from them, because I don't know... I mean, everybody's experience is obviously different, but there do seem to be some common traits that emerge is that whenever I've had an episode, the thing that I've found is, is that I've been like, unable to connect with the way in which, with the world and the way that I use, that I would have previously. So, you know, Sylvia Plath's description of the bell jar is actually incredibly apt because it is like there's a sort of, th for me, I mean, there was always a thick glass barrier between me and other people. And one of the things that I found about very simple human contact was that it could kind of break through that at a time when I was feeling actually dead and numb in a lot of cases. And so I appreciated people who did intervene more in a way than that they I wouldn't appreciate now yeah. because it actually helped me to sort of feel a bit more alive. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, so I was very grateful for that. Should we talk about... So that's... Okay, so what are we talking about? So... I think we've covered off the main things, but you know, obviously, if you're really in suffering, go please seek help. Yeah. So what we're saying is, we acknowledge uh, and have witnessed that depression, Brexit-related depression, is very and real. And anxiety is 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 totally real, and a lot of people are suffering from it. And when when this comes on top of the kind of miserable time of year, anyway, you know, uh, there's a lot of it about. And I really don't blame. I mean, there's a, such an, a, an enormous amount of anxiety because people, human beings, thrive on security. They need security. And if there's anything that defines the Brexit process, it's insecurity. Yeah. Deeply insecure. You don't have to be a, a, a Britain Europe or an EU national in the UK to be feeling insecure about your lives and your futures because of Brexit. We're also looking at serious erosion of our democratic norms in the UK. And, and those like... are real. Those are real. I mean, we, we're looking at something that is, it, we are in a crisis. It's an emergency. And I worry about my six-year-old's future. Yeah, absolutely. My six-year-old yeah. boy. Yeah. I mean, we're all sitting here looking at uh, exit strategies and stockpiling and, and, and getting other nationalities and thinking, well, how do we get out of the country if things go really bad? And we're talking, I mean, it, and people think, well, what? We're being ridiculous. It isn't ridiculous. It isn't ridiculous. That is not ridiculous. Okay, are you going to talk about anger? So yeah, so then then there are all sorts of other unhealthy emotions that we're all processing. Anger's not unhealthy. No, but it's it, it's isn't it? It's how you deal with it. It's it's what it's whether you are in control of your anger or your anger is in control of you and what you do with it. So so anger. So um, so this week 
There's been a lot about anger because there's been these idiot yellow vest twats um, um, attacking Anna Subri outside Parliament and uh, getting a lot of attention. And um, I, they're very angry, and their anger seems to to deliver because you're getting people saying. Well, look at look at what these people are like now. Imagine what will happen if we if we ditch Brexit or if we have another referendum, which of course is absolutely fucking outrageous. Because mm-hmm. it's what what it, what that's saying is that these people and their anger, which they are not controlling, they are not managing in uh, a civilized way. Civilization is all about m- the humans controlling the. The, the, the chimps in your brain I mean you know you control your anger you manage your anger you direct your anger well they're not or if they are what they're doing is they're, let, they're letting it off on a leash in order to instrumentalise it well you know what that says is that your anger as a Remainer your anger as somebody whose rights are being taken away your anger as somebody who witnesses what's, what's happening to, to your country and to your, to your democracy doesn't count because you're in control of your anger and therefore it's not u- it's not useful it's not something that they need to worry about um, and that just makes me more angry and also it makes me think well then why why am I being that sensible civilized grown-up human maybe I should be instrumentalizing my anger if that's the way to make changes and if changes are absolutely necessary for the good of the country and for the good of my family's future well then maybe I need to revise my red lines here um, which is, of course, is a super dangerous path to go down. So I've been thinking a lot about that this week. Um, anger is probably, you know, the whole red mist thing. Um, I've been feeling a lot of that. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I had an awful lot of anger until... To be frank, I had an awful lot of anger until I changed, you know, until my friend who voted for Brexit, who I was very close to, changed mm. his mind. Mm. And I did think the person of the political were immensely caught up in that, but I also found the talking process very therapeutic. And I know he's by, he is by far not, we have, he and I have far more in common and agree on far more than he does with your average Brexit voter. So, so anger, here's another thing. I could see that a lot of people on Twitter were getting upset yesterday because some nonces were basically implying that people who were having... I can't mental... say nonces. Why not? Can you? I thought it was politically incorrect, isn't it? Isn't it? Doesn't it mean child molesters? Is a nonce a child molester? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. All right, some bozos. <laughs> bozos. Hello, Grandma. <laughs> some numpties. We're saying, we're saying that people who were, again, reporting episodes of anxiety and mental health were making it up or being wimps. Oh. Now, personally, I sort of feel like, you know, I, I don't... think what we're calling them is cotwombles. Yeah, I mean, I don't tweet much about mental health on Twitter, not because I'm ashamed to talk about it in public, because I think, but because I think there's so many bellends out there that, frankly, I don't feel like sharing this information with people that I don't know. But equally... I'm not going to get bothered with about prats on Twitter who don't know what personal stories, what's really going on in people's lives. And I think this is probably the problem with Twitter is that people put information out there, it gets attacked and then everyone goes, and then everyone says, well, don't be so sensitive because you put this information out there. Do you, sort of, you know, so yeah. it's that kind of vicious circle. But I do think that on anger, 
I'm really trying to take a step back from feeling angry. And I know that sounds like such an easy thing to say. So, well, you can just decide not to be angry. No, you can't decide not to be angry, but you can at least try to manage it. And for certain things, I just don't have the energy to get angry anymore. And you could say, oh, but that means people like Trump and Bannon and all the rest of it have won. But actually, I don't think that's true. If you look at somebody like Nancy Pelosi, you know, the new leader of the Democrat, the Speaker for the Democrats in, well, Um, Speaker for the House, actually, the returning one, Hmm. when she went for that meeting with Trump Hmm. in December, and he was all over the place, and she was really calm and just basically treating him like a naughty dog. And you could tell that she thought he was incredibly annoying, but she handled it completely well and was totally self-possessed. And she's obviously not somebody who doesn't get angry, but she's just decided that it's not worth it when you're dealing with people like that. And so I'm sort of quite interested in strategy, copying strategies for how you manage that. And also accepting that you don't have to, other people's anger is really not your problem. Well, look at somebody like, I mean, look at somebody like Femi, for example. Femi Oluwole, who, who, um, Look, I don't always agree with everything that, with his strategy or his tactics or with everything even that he says. But my God, I admire that guy's ability to stay calm and cool, and 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 to remain. Um, yeah, I mean, I could never be as cool as that guy. He's such a fucking cool guy. I my thing is, I mean, I do anger, and that's why, for example, Twitter's a good medium for me uh, because. Um, you know, there's 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 a there's a distance between um, the keyboard and, and what you say and hitting the print hitting the publish button. Not for most people. Well, no, I mean sometimes I, t- I tweet stuff and I have to go back and delete it because it's like, oh no, you can't do that. But in terms of having that separation, that 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 space to formulate your thoughts and organize your thoughts and then to say something that is, you know, I, I that works for me. Um, Whereas the kind of stuff that well you do you know you do when with, with your media um, and, 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 and and people like Femi uh, that they can do they can call in you can call in a, a you can call Nigel Farage and have a conversation with the guy I could never do that I would be apoplectic with rage the second that my mouth opened listening to that guy well I you couldn't s- do you, it well you say that but actually. Firstly, I think Femi's exceptional. I mean, he's been out talking to the EDL and Sunderland and stuff like that. and Unbelievable. Yeah, but he's the extreme end of it. But actually, I do think, again, a lot of this comes down to personal empowerment. And I find, I mean, I told you that, I mean, I was on Five Live with Daniel Hannan. (laughs) Yes, I remember that. And he was actually, it was much easier than I thought it was going to be. Really? Yeah. And also, what was I going to say? I was. I told you before we were went on to, to record this that I had an incident with a very Brexit Brexity relative mm. recently, and and somebody else who actually supports No Deal. And I ended up coming out of the incident very upset and mm. cried, but it wasn't because of the views of the person who was vote who, who wants No Deal. She was actually quite yeah. easy to talk to, thoughtful pleasant in the way yeah. that she spoke it was the brexit relative mm. anger and the interrupting and the dismissal of everything i said and calling me rude and basically saying mm. i didn't know what i was talking about that i found so upsetting mm. and i found that incredibly difficult to deal mm. with but it was also very personal but it was because i felt like i was being dismissed yeah. And so I think in some ways, a lot of the time when you're up close and personal, provided there isn't that intense personal connection in there, that, it's much easier to deal I with people. 
Yeah, so what I was going to say about Femi is that, you know, that we do see the extreme examples and we do see the things of him, you know, where he's having to deal with people who are belligerent and difficult. But he himself will say that the vast majority of the people that he talks to on the street are much nicer and a lot more reasonable and capable of having a polite conversation with empathy as it's considerate of each other's views. And I do think that, you know, a lot of the time, you know, some... I think a lot of the time when we get angry when other people are angry or, or we feel rage, it's because we feel impotent. And I think a lot of the impotence comes from the fact that we feel like these people wouldn't listen to us or they wouldn't listen to our argument or they can't be persuaded. And I think there's a lot to be said in letting go of some of those types. Yeah. So, uh, no, I, I, again, that, that's not rocket science, but I think of certain people, it's just not worth bothering having an argument and trying to stay yeah. polite and getting through it and all the rest but of it. Also, it's probably it's, the main thing. But like I said, the person that I met who was thinking that didn't see why there was a problem with no deal, I didn't have a problem with talking to her. It was a perfectly mm. polite exchange because of the way in which it was handled. She listened to what I was saying. It's about humanising. It's about being... If you dehumanise, and I'm totally guilty of doing this um, to the other side, I, I concede that. When you dehumanise people... Um, or you feel that you've been dehumanised, it, it, it just injects an additional layer of hostility and aggression. I, just, I think and it's when it, you've it's been really dismissed. I, d- I wouldn't even say when it's been dehumanised, because we can talk about that in terms of Twitter. I, c- I, it, I feel angry when I feel like I'm being dismissed outright, yeah. as in I make an argument, not even I provide it with evidence, or so, I say this is how I feel, this is how I see the situation, Everybody else, and somebody says, well, that doesn't matter. So my my um, so my experience is that I've... I've um, I often deal with confrontation on Twitter, especially now that I, 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 I tracked some now that body kind of stuff. Um, just simply by just blocking, just, just talk mm. to the hand. Um, and I had a couple of interesting experiences. One you know, early, earlier on, much earlier, um, I ha- so one of my good friends in Brussels is the former. Brussels correspondent the Daily Telegraph who's now the Brussels correspondent the Times is Bruno Waterfield he's a good, good friend of mine uh, we disagree about a lot, quite a lot of stuff <laughs> and we got to be friends on Twitter because what happened was he wrote something about the EU and about EU staff which was outrageous and wrong and horrible and I was really angry with him and I confronted him on, twi- on Twitter and his response, I mean, he's an interesting guy because, I mean, he, 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 he rolls with the punches quite well. I mean, it, what he did was like, well, look, okay, let's go, let's go and have a beer and talk about it. And we did. And we were like, oh, we actually quite like each other and we've got lots in common, except that we completely disagree on, 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 on the EU and Brexit. But, um, and then I had another experience much more recently, which is somebody who um, I had blocked and he had blocked me, which is Ian Martin, the, um, another columnist for The Telegraph. And I happened to, to meet him at, at, at a dinner party. And we had a, a very interesting conversation. I think we both understood where we were coming from mutually. So we knew that there were areas where we weren't going to agree. But what happened was, having met in person, having had a conversation in person over There's the last There's a mutual respect. What, yeah, but not, it, it's not just about the mutual respect. What, 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 what it injects is into the online relationship are the, are the kind of constraints and social the social etiquette that you get in person but that basically doesn't exist online so and and it erodes i mean it it, it it's got a half-life so it sort of slowly erodes but i've said things online because now we follow each other we unblocked each other and followed each other again and he says stuff that kind of like 
has the red mist descending on me, and I say stuff that clearly has the red mist descending on him. And I, a few, there have been a few exchanges between us, but they have been super polite and courteous and mm. kind of respectful. And where it, it gets well, to know. a point where you know that you're not going to agree, you just agree to disagree, which is something that actually normally doesn't happen on Twitter. Well, right. So this is how. It, but this comes back to the point about dis- disagree and d- dismissive. Like I. There's definitely for me as the thing about rules here, about the rules of politeness and norms. I don't mind if people disagree. I mind how they disagree with me. And that's, I mean, it's like what I said on my Twitter profile. If you behave like a sociopath, I'm going to block you. As in, I've got a one strike and you're out policy. And if someone's a belligerent twat, then they're out, basically. I don't know. But and I, mean, I might unblock them later if I meet them and I like them. But I'm, yeah. I, have got, I have a zero tolerance for policy for rude people on my timeline. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Which means that I've only got about three followers. Well, you know. So anyway, listen, Laura, um, you're doing something really cool tomorrow. Well, it's on Friday. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to London tomorrow, but no, I'm. Um, there's a big event on Friday in London, which I think the tickets might have sold out, actually. Tomorrow to anybody listening to this, because I'm not... Tomorrow to anybody listening to this, but if you're in London and you want to fancy coming to hear some like-minded people then come along to the convention at Emmanuel Centre, which starts at 9.30 and goes till about 5. And it is a massive event um, about the meaningful vote, how to get a, a referendum to end the impasse. And actually some of the stuff that we've been talking about, not just how to run a really inclusive, proper campaign, but also for a new style of politics. So where's the Emmanuel Centre? It's in Westminster. Whereabouts? I don't know exactly, but you can... Googly will tell people. Okay. But it's like five minutes from the tube. Okay. And people who are speaking, Caroline Lucas, Eloise Todd, Femi, Ian Dunt, James O'Brien, Fintan O'Toole, Jarvis Cocker. Seriously, this is basically John, my... Jonathan Coe. Ultimate di- um, dinner party guest. Some people, Tom Baldwin is from the People's Votes Campaign. Fintan O'Toole, will you please get me his autograph? Uh, if I can get Fintan O'Toole's autograph. Fintan O'Cool, that Fintan would also cool. work. And then in terms of MPs, Dominic Grieve, big love to our MP. Yes. Um, I think Joe Johnson is speaking... Ali McGovern, Joanna Cherry, Alan Smith, Seb Dance. Legends. Bunch of Remainer Nows. Thank you, Andy. Um, and myself. We should give you a, a portable mic and do an outside broadcast for... I could. I might not, though. I'm actually doing several things. So I'm speaking, yeah, so about, t- yeah, I'm tell speaking us. about free movement. And I'm also chairing a panel called EU Reality Check, which we have wanted Steve to be on, but he just didn't feel that he could be there. And that's mm. a real shame because yeah. he'd have been brilliant. But I'm chairing a panel with Anatol Koletsky, Alan, mm-hmm. um, Charles Grant, and Mary Honeyball. Mm-hmm. And then I'm on the panel on free movement with Seb Dance. I wanted Kieran the Euro career, but he actually might be on a job at that moment, so he can't come. But we had a very good chat about it. <coughs> and somebody from the music industry. And then a young woman from Northern Ireland called Tara Fitzgerald. And a young Italian student. On free movement, so we're talking about the positives. Who, who's of free a young movement. Italian student? I can't remember what her surname is. She's from FFS, so for future's sake. Cool. But we're talking about the positives rather cool. than yeah. and, and you know as much as anything else. And then in the afternoon, I'm chairing this panel, and then I'm also helping them out with press. Hmm. And obviously, everybody wants a piece of Jarvis Cocker. Well, he doesn't, but he's not doing anything till after a speech. But apparently, he's well up for it afterwards. So I'm hoping, you know, <laughs> as one of my friends texted me, said Brexit might be worth it. Just maybe if you get to meet Jarvis Cocker. Mm, like, nah. mm, no, but it's quite close. Nah. <laughs> no, so no be, disrespect. So the point is that it will all be live streamed. Hashtag thinking you act new. See if you want tickets. Say that slowly. 
Hashtag is, I don't think it's a very catchy hashtag, but it's think anew, act anew. But I expect... Think it... anew, act anew. Look, don't. That's but... a shit hashtag. Hey. <laughs> it's organised by the lovely Henry Porter, the journalist, and Anthony Barnett from Open Democracy, and Sonia Purnell, who bi- did the biography of Boris Johnson. Yeah, but like, in a, a good way. And... Yeah, it should, I think it should be really interesting. My mum and dad are coming. Oh, really? Bless they are, them. No, they are coming. Yeah, That's and great. my sister. That's, that sounds great. And it's on Friday. Yeah, and you can. There'll be footage afterwards, and you can tweet. And it, we got some interested press, and it's coming at a good moment. And I'm Excellent. very absolutely. I'm very um, flattered to have been asked to take part. Actually, well, that's wonderful. Well, look. That's that's amazing. I think that you'll be fantastic on it, and so will everybody else. I'm very envious. I'm sorry, um, well, well. You bring your attractive baby. Oh, he is cute. Bring him. Everyone loves a baby. Oh, he's cute. Can't you bring him in a sack or whatever it is that people carry their baby? <laughs> my little, on the my little uh, vegan snood or whatever. Call it. What is it? We would call a it poos. a sling. I have a little. Give a horrid baby Bjorn and walk around looking really smug. Yeah, no, I have a, sl- I have a proper hippie sling. Oh, do you? No, no, no. Oh, Carl, his, you'll his be mum has, has a baby Bjorn. I have a little sling, proper hippie. Oh, sling. Carol Cadwallad is also going to be oh there, my God. and Peter Jukes, oh my and God. Adam Ramsey. Seriously? Yeah. And Nick Cohen. (gasps) Wow. There's a section called "What's Wrong with the English," which I think is Fintan O'Toole's, which is Fintan O'Toole's (laughs) section. Can I be? Can I do that with my German passport? What is wrong with the English? So listen, listen. um, I'm not German lovers. I I want to do a little trailer for next week. Okay, all right. Very excited about next week. Which is we're not having lie of the week this week. We also have the three million. Sorry, Europeans. Yeah, we're being sorry. I'm 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 interrupting the talk about your connection. no you're not I just meant to say we do have Europeans someone to three million speaking as well it's going to be amazing and I, I look forward to following it on Twitter um, next week's cake watch is going to be amazing too because um, Tanya's back I want Tanya's to back next week's going to be called Wurstfest <laughs> so we're not doing the reason we're not doing Lie of the Week this week is that we're going to cover this week's Lie of the Week next week and this week's Lie of the Week was Greg Hands and mm. his conservative home scrutiny of eu officials who just happen to be german and yeah it's the yeah i was i was super cross about this and we'll go into details what next week but i thought you know maybe me and and tanya we could sort of together there's a know, tweet out there did you see it well That's i've seen very many stupid tweets. woman who was reading yes, yeah don't even let's not even let's not even go she seems like a bird yeah let's just not even give it the yeah. and then says that she'd taken it down because people had misunderstood and said that she'd let's they thought she might say okay because really, it doesn't deserve any attention. What's German um, for pond scum? <laughs> um, I'm not sure actually. It's a good question. We'll, we'll ask Tanya. We'll, we'll ask Tanya. But anyway, the, um, Tanya's coming back next week. We're going to talk about various things, including Germanophobia, um, British Germanophobia, and why we think that sucks and we don't like it. Um, yeah, I spent last. I spent part of last week in the German embassy in London, um, getting uh, renewing my kids' passports. No, no, he wasn't there, thank God. But it was interesting. There were, there were a lot of people there. It looked a little bit like Ellis Island. You had a, had a definite kind of refugee vibe to it. It's kind of slightly sad, but anyway. Look, um, thanks, Laura. I think let, let's wrap up. Um, I'm going to go back. I'm going to edit this, and we're hopefully going to get it out really quickly so that uh, people can catch it um, on Thursday morning. Uh, if they want, um, and I hope, you know, I I hope that what what we do with the podcast is helpful to people and 
in, in, in dealing with all of this. Mm. And that's kind of why we do it. We do it for ourselves. I mean, Steve and I started out doing this really as a coping strategy for, for ourselves and thinking that it might also then be useful and helpful to other people who feel the same way that we do about it. Um, well, and Steve, that's the idea. Steve, I hope you're feeling a little bit better tonight and also to the other people I've been in touch with this week that you know who you are and you're not alone yeah. and I'm sorry it's so yeah I'm sending lots of love difficult for you alright thanks a lot Laura thanks, um, thanks a lot Chris